The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. The idea to me of freedom is, is, is threefold. It's freedom from something, freedom to something, and then freedom for something. So it's actually a, a movement away from a, a thing and a movement towards something else, but in the context of for a bigger picture as well. So we'll take a look at three different passages in the scriptures, and then I'll, we'll chat a little bit about it and, and move on from there. So starting with John chapter 8, verse 31. In John eight thirty one, and, and just to set up the story, uh, Jesus is talking about himself. He's explaining the story of himself. And uh, there was um, uh, folks who had religious, folks who had leadership and, and responsibility over the religious community of the time. Um, there was a group known as Pharisees or folks known as Sadducees. And, you know, there's probably different um, flavors and, of intensity of belief. Because you know, it's, it, not every, quote, Pharisee was this bad guy. There were some that were really confused and, and not sure of who Jesus was. And they, were, they almost seemed to be open. But, hey, we all understand what peer pressure is like. And, um, and there was a lot at stake to be a follower of Jesus and, and, and Jewish. So... Um, so he's speaking about himself, and he's, he's explaining who he is and what he's about. And, and, and they say, hey, your testimony's not true. You know, we don't believe the story of you. And if the story of you is not true, it's certainly not true for us. And so there was an attempt to, um, I guess, smear or diminish or discount what he says. So he, he kept speaking, and, and there was, actually seemed to be a bit of a conversation going on. And then in verse 31, speaking to this group, he says this, <clears throat> To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching... You're really my disciples or students and followers. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants. Now, by the way, these are his followers. This is not the Pharisees. They were, you know, anti-Jesus, right? They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we've never been slaves of anyone. I guess they forgot that Egyptian thing uh, and, and the Roman occupation. And... Um, so how can you say we shall be free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who, who sinned is a slave to sin. And now a slave has no permanent place in a family. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. Jesus is establishing his credibility. There's some challenges. Um, the book of John's unique in that he... Is, is the only author that tells you up front the purpose of his writing the book. It's found in John chapter 20. He, he said, I, I, I wrote this down specifically so that you would believe, to make it easier to believe, to have a, a basis for your belief. And then the result, he says, that you would have eternal life, which, you know, I think if you're kind of nude to the whole God thing, eternal life sounds like, gosh, more of this, you know, forever. It, it, it's not a issue of, of quantity, it's an issue of quality, it's a type of life and, um, and when John writes this, he's probably in his 80s, he's looking back he's, he is by tradition the last remaining apostle um, he was a pastor at the church of Ephesus, he, you know, he wrote that book um, Revelation, which is really easy to understand um, he wrote little short postcard notes to people, uh, little tweets called 1st, 2nd and 3rd John and, and, and he wrote this as well. And um, 
and so he's, he's trying to point out different discourses and conversations and, and, and actions that Jesus did. Depending on how you count them, there's either seven very distinct uh, miracles and episodes in the life of Jesus that he points out, or there's ten. It's not really critical how you count them. The point is, is that he's putting this down to encourage belief. This is what he wanted folks that he would never be able to verbally speak this to directly or say in a crowd or say in a group to know and understand. I guess the thing when I first think about the idea of freedom, uh, especially when you come in like some of us do, you know, we, have, we, bring, we bring in all our baggage with us, right? I mean, I, I know I've, I've heard the stories. I, I, I'm sure they're true. People come to Christ and, you know, they're immediately set free of everything that ever bothered them, you know. Their skin clears up as well. You know, they grow hair where they want it to grow, you know, not, not out of your ears or your back. Um, isn't that nature's cruel joke, right? We lose it on top of here and then we grow it out of our ears. Or worse, for guys, out of our noses. What's that all about? Um, this is to keep us humble. I think that's what it is, you know. Uh, uh, but at any rate, so he, he you know, you, you come in and, and everybody seems to be doing well. Right? Have you noticed that? In fact, it seems that whatever you... Um, are missing or lack or want in your life everybody else has it but you so if you're single everybody's married you, that's all you see is couples and if you're married all you see is singles because you long to be free and, and, uh, uh, or, or if you are if you're struggling with some sort of a, a habit or an addiction or you know, there's some sexual mismanagement going on or whatever it might be everybody you just look at them and you go oh they never had that problem they, they've never done that. They, they don't know what it's like to consume porn secretly. Or they don't know what it's like to drink a little bit way too much. And I'm sure no one's here ever experienced bankruptcy. How can I, who has a DUI in the record but I? You know? and, and, and the reality is if all of us actually were honest with, completely with ourselves, you know, we wouldn't like each other. But if we really were honest, it, it, there's, there's a lot of stories here. right? Um, and, and so I think for one of the first things I think about, about being free is that uh, it, it, there is a... There's an immediate spiritual reality to that. Something that's shifted and changed that will not change back. But freedom is also, as we know, a process. It's something that you actually intentionally kind of have to work at. So I think the first freedom I want to speak about is freedom from. The first thing is is ourselves. I mean, you know, think about your own thought life and uh, your emotional responses. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm... I'm convinced that most of us probably have, um, oh, how can I put this, sore points where, <clears throat> you know, you're functioning, you seem to handle many things well, but it's just that, it's that area, if somebody puts a little bit of pressure on it, even by accident, you know, you, it, you react. It's not even a response, it's a reaction. I, I mean, the, the difference is that the reaction is non-thinking, impulsive, um, there's no thought about it. There's no conscious process. You, it just react. As a versus a response where there's 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 some thought behind it. There's some intention behind it. You know, um, and so we're, we just have uh, that place that's sore and broken. And you know, all of us have something. Um, all of us have some area that we probably wish we didn't. Right. Um, whether it's an area of forgiveness, um, you know, some sort of freaky habit that you wish you didn't have, some proclivity towards something you wish you didn't, you wish you didn't have the appetite for something, and you have to kind of put yourself around things or or create, 
you have to take, I guess, one of, like precautions or set up boundaries for yourself, intentional boundaries, so that you won't cross over and, and engage in behavior or even thoughts that, that are unhealthy. And you know they are. It's not a matter like, oh, I, I wish people will like me and I, I want to fit into the group. You just know that when I'm engaged in this sort of behavior, I, I feel incredibly lonely, I feel incredibly empty, and I feel incredibly shriveled. I don't walk away from those experiences or those moments when I indulge in various appetites, no matter what they may be, and walk away feeling better about myself. So I think that's the first freedom, is the freedom from yourself. Um, that there's an actual event in spiritual reality where, where life's beginning to grow. And because I think we don't really have a lot of um, agricultural or maybe nature sort of you know, metaphors to, that we live out, in a very urban, industrial life that most of us live, <clears throat> I think this is just kind of hard for us to process. Um, we assume, for some reason, that spirituality is instant and that it doesn't require a lot of our own effort. Where, every, I mean, in every other area of our life, we, we never think of terms of instant weight loss or instant fitness or instant intelligence or instant career moves. We know there's a process involved. And so it is also with us. So I guess I, if I was to say that even though there's freedom from ourselves, I, I want to be able to paint, the, paint a realistic picture and encourage to say, but this isn't overnight. And in some cases, you might experience a significant breakthrough where you see clearly, it's like, it's almost as if God gave you, you know, a, a glasses to understand and be set free from areas. I think that understanding includes this also. I've said in the past, and I'm convinced of this, is that I, I think most people who are followers of Jesus r- rarely, rarely, quote, turn from harmful habits. The scriptures call it repentance. That's kind of a traditional way of saying the word. The reason why I say that is because <clears throat> we make mistakes, we do things wrong, you know, things happen, you apologize, and, and you feel bad about what you did. But forgiveness is not a pass. It, it is partly that, but forgiveness is meant to be healing. And so when I understand um, the, the, the real damage and the extent and the intensity of the weirdness and the darkness that I was engaging in, and then I'm aware of Christ's love for me, forgiveness has a healing effect. It's almost like being surprised by love. Um, yeah, I'll tell you the quick story and I'll keep moving. It's, I, I've told you... Some of, you, some of you folks this before, that when I was in the hospital after that incident of self-injury, um, and Lily came to visit me, so I had, you know, she was dating this doctor guy, so I was, I was a college dropout, no job, I'm in a hospital because I hurt myself. Not exactly, you know, the candidate for marriage, and, uh, and, and she came, and, and she, had, she was a brand new believer in Christ, uh, you know, herself, she, I, I don't know, maybe six weeks but the thing about Lily is that it was, it was a remarkable, like, it was like, you know, night and day. Like, it, it was like a literal flip almost in front of me. Not literally, like flips. <laughs> um, though she was a gymnast, uh, she wasn't that kind of a flip. Uh, it, uh, it, it was a, just like the light went on in a way, and it's been, um, you know, I will tell you that I think of all the followers I've ever met in my life, all the, you know, Christian people, Male and female, she is the most authentic person I've ever met. I mean, I know her the I know her the best, obviously. So this is why I know her at her worst and at her best, and her doubts and struggles and her processes and her thought life. And she's the most authentic one I've ever met. But the, the, my point in saying all that is is that I was uh, it was a moment of understanding that I was being uh, I was being surprised by love. 
because I didn't have anything to offer. Um, I couldn't even drive my little sports car that I had at the time. 240Z, dropped, racing cam. <laughs> Coney shocks. Cherry pack muffler. <laughs> Not that I was into it or anything, but... Uh, S- silver, black interior. And um, I love that car. <laughs> por que, Dios? Por que? Now I drive a Ford Explorer. And it's just um, the irony. So, um, and I think that's probably the, the thing that, that is, is healing to us in this freedom. When you recognize that, um, it, it's not just recognizing that you're bad. This is not to make people feel worse. Honestly, this is not what this is about. That would be a cheap, easy thing for a pastor to do, by the way. You guys are bad, and you need to pray more. Okay, okay, got it. You know, but that's not what this is about. What this is about is, is letting folks know that no matter how crummy you might feel, or how stupid, or how much you might have failed, or what embarrassing, naughty, awful thing you might have done, no matter how rotten it might have been, Understand that if God moves anywhere, he moves directly to you in that moment. You're not repelling God. You're attracting him. And we have this goofy notion that if we don't behave, somehow he's, he, he, he withholds his love. It is our, our relationship to God, our connection, is always going to be based on grace, not our actions. Now, earning God's respect, or when you say creating pleasure, in him for our lives. That's a little different. But his love is not going to change. And so I think that's one of the other freedoms we get set free from ourselves in that respect. And then there's freedom from others. Um, many young adults, many not so young adults, um, we, we are so tied to other people's opinion of ourselves that we are consciously and unconsciously, we make decisions based on that. I recall once I asked my son, <clears throat> uh, leave. No, I asked my son to, uh, I'm so unhappy here. You can go. I mean, <laughs> two doors, eight windows, pick one. And uh, he was making a, a major, major life decision. And he was a young man, he was 24, 23, whatever it was. And, and uh, so, you know, being the dad, I took him out to a nice steak dinner. And, and, I, and I was pleading my case, please don't do this thing you're going to do. And, and two weeks later, he did it anyways. And, uh, it, and so a few months before the finalization of that act was happening, because there's like six, seven months in between that dinner and the, the final act of this decision, that um, we were speaking about it and, and everything. And, and uh, he says, well, I guess I know you're probably not really happy with the fact that I, I didn't do what you wanted me to do. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I just, you know, I, I, I can't believe I keep screwing up as a parent, you know. Uh, I said, son, I am so sorry that you have been carrying this. I'm sorry I didn't process with you further. It, it really, you did exactly what I wanted you to do. And he was, you know, what the heck are you talking about? I said, son, you cannot be tied to your mom and dad forever. I, I love you, man. I mean, I think you're a great kid. You know, if you weren't my kid, I still like you, to be very frank. But you cannot be a person that's tied to your dad's opinion of you or your approval of you and your, or your mom's. I mean, I think we're always right. But, uh, <laughs> and soon you will discover my rightness and uh, you will marvel at my big brain. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but as parents, I think that's one of the biggest gifts you can give your kids. It's just the, just the encouragement to be an adult and make their own decisions. Um, and, and yet we often, we live and die by that. How many of you remember the, it's an old film, uh, City Slickers? Yeah, okay, cute film. And when the um, Billy Crystal character was talking to Curly, 
He said, hey, how do you do it? You seem like you got everything together. You seem to know the trick to, to life. You know, how is it? What do you do? And, and Curly says, so it's just one thing. Oh, what is it? What's that one thing? Well, it's different for everybody. But I remember watching that film thinking, that is so freaking true. Um, if I lived my life thinking I just had to please one person, and it wasn't just me, uh, you know, it was, I'm not that person. In other words, if, if I honestly sensed God's approval, God's applause, if he was, just the, if he was the only audience I, was, I felt I was in front of, because the world is the stage, would it really matter to me what anybody else thought? Now, I don't mean in a flippant, cold, dis, dis, um, you know, dismissive manner. I just see, I, because I think God is so for others, that if my actions please him, I'm for others. Because I believe God cares and loves people. If, I, if my actions uh, please him, I'm going to be caring and loving towards people. But I'm free from their need of approval. I'm free from their need of applause. And I don't have to perform in front of so many other audiences. Because let's face it, isn't the most tiring thing that we do sometimes is to enter in the different roles we have to play. Right? You go home, I've got to be dad. I've got to be you know, this. I've got to be that person at work. I've got to be this person here. And, 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 and integrity has less to do with honesty as much as it does to live in a life of, um, that's, that's complete and whole, not compartmentalized. And that happens when I'm free from the opinion of others. Um, it's not that I don't care about their opinions. It's not that it doesn't matter to me, but I'm not tied to that. I'm only tied to one person's opinion that matters. And I believe, it, I believe the healthy one should be God's. And not even mine. Because um, you know how it is sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking we're doing the right thing. Or you can talk yourself into doing something that you know is not right to do. So freedom from yourself and freedom from others. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. This was an incredible city, Ephesus. Um, if you were to Google it, the city of Ephesus, a, um, uh, just a tremendous um, metropolitan area. Very cultured. It's Greek. Um, Huge open amphitheater, uh, a banking system based on a particular female goddess worship. Uh, just an incredible, incredible, massive, gorgeous metropolis. And Paul had spent some time there. Things didn't go so well for Paul. But, uh, and, and he starts a little church. And so years later, he's writing this letter to this church. And, so, um, and the people there in that church were like, like us. They have different levels of dysfunction when they came into Christ. <clears throat> so chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And now as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And when you followed the ways of this world or the culture or the mindset, you know, um, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us, catch that phrase, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And then God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's not of works or efforts, it's, it's so that nobody can boast or brag. And this is the verse I think most people forget when they read this chapter. 
They'll quote Ephesians 2.89 to help people encourage them into faith. But this is the one verse I think is missing. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I find that incredibly... Well, I'll tell you how I first read it. Don't, doesn't this feel a little bit constrictive? Like, well, where's the freedom if he's already planned out my life? Where's my free will? You know, where's my choice in the matter? Um, I mean, isn't this the opposite of freedom if he's already prepared something for me to do? And it almost feels like, um, oh, I don't know, forced? Indentured service at best, maybe? Um, but I've often thought that the way people perhaps approach the scriptures and their reaction to it is an indication of who they are, not the scriptures. Um, but if this seems out of touch with your own soul, is it possible that perhaps you're the one that's out of touch with your soul? That maybe this preparation, this idea that, that God actually had a plan that was meant to be good for each of us and then for humanity as a whole, um, in the parts that we play in it, that, that we actually play a part in God's story. That it wasn't meant to be restrictive or diminishing of our, of our personhood. You know, this is not an Eastern-flavored religion. That it was meant to actually authenticate us as human beings and allow us to become the unique people that we were meant to be. Like, I know what will make you run. I know what will make you thrive. I get what will help you become the person that I dreamed and designed you to be and knew you could be when I bled out for you. I I didn't do this. I didn't sacrifice my life so that you could be like everybody else uh, or bad copies of each other. And I find that sometimes... um, uh, By the way, how many of you, when you you go on a trip or a vacation, you totally overpack? You come back with clean clothes, right? Right? You roll stuff, you know. You shove the socks and chonies in your shoes, making room for everything. I always come back with clean clothes. I, I, I'm trying to break myself of that habit. Just take, it's only 12 hours. You don't need to take luggage. You, you know, there's no, no need for that. Uh, I had a friend over the house yesterday, and, and I was cleaning out the back of my explorer. She goes, how many bags do you have? And I, okay, this, is, this backpack is just for car stuff. This is a bag just for books. This is a leather man bag for uh, you know, personal items. She goes, what's this one for? Incidentals, in case I find something I need to take home. She goes, my God, how do you go on a trip? I said, I need those, those ocean liner things. You know, I need a closet of stuff. Um, but I've gotten better. At any rate, my point, and there is one, is that um, it, it, uh, you know, when, you, when you go away or you're going to go do something, um, usually there's some sort of plan, right? You have to book transportation, train, a plane, uh, something, right? And then you hopefully have booked a place to stay when you get there. And then maybe you do the thing where you go, oh, well, maybe we'll do this, that, and the other. I mean, there's some unexpectedness, but generally we planned it when, you know, on a vacation or trip because we know that's what part of what makes it enjoyable. Right? We're not 18 anymore, but we just throw a backpack on ourselves and just go. You know? see, see how far the money gets us. Um, and I think the very things that make our vacations and trips enjoyable is what makes a spiritual journey enjoyable as well. And here's what I mean by that. 
Yeah, I, I, I feel you that if you first read this as something that's restrictive and planned, that you don't have a choice in the matter, I think you're forgetting really what a journey is meant to be. It's, it's a journey. It's not just a destination. And while there are some things that are planned and in your life is meant to do good, it's not a detailed granular and you'll turn left and then you'll go right. And I think when I read this thing about planned, I see a principle that's involved for us for our journey. In fact, I'll put it this way. The planned journey that God has for us is not a map. It's a compass. You follow? It's not, um, it's not MapQuest or, or, or one of those GPS apps on your phone. Turn here, go 120 feet, then walk this. How many of you guys have ever used one of those apps but pedestrian mode? Those are kind of cool, aren't they? You're walking, turn this way. I'm one of those geeky nerds who are like, oh, wow, look. Oh, my gosh, it really knows what I'm doing, you know? <laughs> Amused by technology. Uh, but what if, what if the direction is just simply, hey, man, I need you to head east. I need you to move north. Well, where, where do I stop and go? Well, hey, that's, a lot of that's going to be up to you. I, I, I'm here for some, some guidance. I'm here for energizing. I'm here to move you. I'm here to teach you. But I'm not planning every second of every moment of your day. And it's, this, what's incredible to me about this whole thing is this. And I think this might be different for some of us who grew up in different church cultures. Is that God actually invites us into his life as a partner. You know that Jesus once called his, his students, his friends? They were friends. Now, I, I, I'm not trying to diminish the fact that if the story is true, and I believe it is, that he's God, the, the creator, the savior. But one of the ways he chooses to identify us as, is in this relationship, he says, I call you my friends because I tell you stuff. I, I, you're not just my slave. I call you a friend. And, and so in this journey... I find, I guess at some level, some, some kind of, in, I, don't, I don't want to say incredible, it sounds so cliche. I guess it's just remarkable, it's surprising that when I thought my life was out of control and I was just kind of doing my own thing and that there were some places in my life that I had done stuff that would disqualify me to be connected to God, that he already had, he had a plan. Oh, oh, oh no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, in, fact, it's, in fact, that was a doozy, um, but this one was... Uh, I, Uh, I've actually covered that and I have a plan so it's freedom from ourselves freedom to actually live out a life of freedom and then this is what the freedom is also for and I'll take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for just a moment 1 Corinthians 15 if I was to quiz this group of people here you know what is I don't know what is the great chapter on love you would would say what 1 Corinthians 13 and, and most of us, how about the great chapter on faith in the Bible? Maybe a little harder. Hebrews 11. Yeah, exactly. But if I was to say to you, what is the great chapter on the resurrection? Yeah, I'll give you a hint. We're in 1 Corinthians 15. <laughs> so, so Paul explains that the resurrection, and, and let me stop for just a moment, the literal physical resurrection not a spiritual one not a mental one but a, a you know like in the Mel Gibson movie you know James Caviezel right with the CG brown eyes and the little nose to make him look more Middle Eastern when he walks out that Jesus physically left the tomb there was no body think I know that, this is not part of my notes but since I'm here on the subject 
please understand historically that Christianity could not have, it would not have started if the body was found. That's the problem of Christianity historically. You know, habeas corpus, who has the body? Where's the body? Think of all the people and organizations that had a dog in the fight for this not to be true. The Roman occupiers, the Jewish and religious authorities, uh, various other folks that perhaps were, maybe they were neutral towards Jesus, but they sure didn't want any troubles that would cause the uh, Roman occupation, the, the Roman government, to further clamp down on the limited freedom they were experiencing. So every, there are so many, so many folks that had a vested interest in producing the body, which has never been produced. And the apostles had no benefit in, in, in promoting this message. They didn't go on a book tour. They didn't establish, you know, they, 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 there was no money involved. Um, so this has always been the historical question to ask about Jesus. You know, you see a good teacher. He's a great guy. He's a rabbi. He's a prophet. Okay, but when it comes to the resurrection, did, if it didn't happen, it's nothing. If, in fact, I'll go a little further. If the resurrection didn't happen, there's no reason to do anything regarding the scriptures. We should completely discard Jesus' life because more than half his life would have been a lie. And, 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 and if, he, if he knew he was lying, he'd be a liar. Uh, not worth listening to as a great moral teacher. But if he didn't know he was lying, then he'd be a lunatic. And again, uh, kind of disqualifies himself for being a great moral teacher. So we're, the, the, the resurrection is the linchpin to the Christian faith. And Paul essentially expounds that and, and, and unwraps that in this chapter. But I'm, I'm going to read only the first few verses of this for a moment. Verses 1 through 6. So now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. I want that I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I've preached to you, otherwise, you, you believed in vain. In other words, it, it, it's not that you're believing in vain. It's just that if, if, if the resurrection, all that is not true, then believing in it, no matter how intensely you might believe it, doesn't make it true. right? The intensity or sincerity of your belief doesn't make something true. It's true or it's not true. So for here, and here's what he starts off with. For what I received, I passed on to you as of the first importance or primary importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Um, it's almost as if Paul is anticipating the question. Well, he appeared to Peter, okay. It's just one man's testimony, right? Could have been a number of things that happened. Okay, he appeared to 12 guys. They all kind of wanted to have this moment, you know. Maybe one guy thought he was having the experience and the other 11 were too embarrassed to admit that they weren't, so they said they were too, you know. Oh, yes, I see him too. Where is he, you know. Uh, but 500 people? You know, there's no such thing as a mass hallucination, number one. And number two, it's almost as if Paul encourages them to say, hey, you can, uh, you can check in with them because some of them are still alive. You can ask them. But, but here's, what I, here's why I, I, I stopped here in this passage and we'll close in a few moments. 
Um, as I've said before, and I'll repeat this, that if we're honest with ourselves, and, and, and you know, you kind of look at it yourself, this group and the community and the church in general, each of us are a beautiful tragedy and marred art. We are attempting to live a God life in, in our human experience. Um, our, the freedom that we experience in our lives um, at best is incomplete and temporary. But for somebody who's never experienced that at all, it looks pretty freaking good. And I'm willing to bet some of you have such a compelling or winsome or interesting life that people have asked you, uh, kind of like, what, what, what makes you tick, you know? You, you can bet right then and there that you have generated enough relational collateral and credibility to authentically and, and, and you know, share your beliefs and speak directly into their souls. Um, but, but freedom is for freedom's sake. And freedom is meant to be experienced and shared. And this, is not, this is not an exclusive club, right? None of you pay membership dues. We're thinking of charging, but we don't know how to... Like, like the internet, we don't know how to charge your content anymore. And uh, once you've given it away for free, how do you charge your content? But each of us experiences freedom differently. I think there's different metaphors. So I, I'm going to give you three, and some, maybe some of these will speak to you. I think for some of us, <clears throat> we have the image of a fighter, like a freedom fighter, the muhajin, or something like that, maybe, but less political. Uh, and, and for us, it's, it really is a battle. Uh, we, we do think, think in terms of fighting for our freedom and fighting for the freedom of others. I think some of you have this uh, mentality. You, you, uh, uh, almost like a, you have a high restorative skill in your head. You have a high includer strength in your, in, that works for you. You have a high empathy thing, and so you cannot not leave anybody behind. It's just, it, it, just, it, it goes against the very fiber of your being. A friend of mine, an elder at a Mormon church, just a terrific man, I have so much respect for the way he lives his life and how he's managed his family. We had some differences of opinions regarding reality and spiritual truths. But he said there was one motivating principle that guided his life, and he says, no empty chairs. And I thought, well, yeah, can you unwrap that for me, Jim? What do you mean by that? He says, well, <clears throat> at the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven, okay, I don't want to see an empty chair because I didn't fight for someone's freedom. And I thought, oh, wow, what a great metaphor. You know, I, I'm going to so use that and rip you off. You know? <laughs> so I, I, I did. And so, uh, but isn't that a lovely expression, a lovely metaphor to kind of live your life by? If there's something you could do and you don't do it, aren't you sort of failing the idea of freedom? Aren't you not then no longer fighting for the freedom that you've received if you don't fight for the freedom of others? I think for freedom sometimes is also an image of a healer. Um, where we are uh, serving and caring for others. Sometimes it's uh, the idea of a healer is just the kindness and tenderness that we give and extend to people, the including of in people, you know, hey, how are you, who are you, you know, hey, do you know so? You know, we, 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 we intentionally look for ways to draw folks in and connect them. I mean, we have a... Th- that's an important value to us here at this, in this community. And I'm hoping that each of you are thinking in those terms. It's, it's not who, who can fit, who can take care of me today, but who can I take care of today? See, look, you know what? If everybody came to, if everybody came to this community thinking in terms of, is there, who is one person I can encourage today or motivate or just share an active moment of kindness for them? 
If everybody walked in that way, everybody would leave feeling better and more committed and more encouraged. But if most of us walk in here thinking, I need, I need, I need, you know. All I, all I picture is like crabs in a bucket, you know. They're all tearing at each other sometimes. Um, and, and, and then knowing that, that in the end, that love is always the motivation. Um, love is the fuel, you know. Love is the drug. I, I can't get enough of That was a stupid 80s song, wasn't it? Yeah. Any rate, uh, so um, I, I love you guys. But if it wasn't Christ's love for me, flowing through me, we'd be done with each other in a few minutes, wouldn't we? Because Joe and I, we can barely stand each other's company, and we are, we're committed believers, and so we have to work at it. <laughs> That's right. So let's be honest. You know, we, we wouldn't really like each other much if we didn't love, and we weren't loved by God first. So love is the motivation for fighting for freedom. Um, I think as a freedom, extending freedom to others is also the image sometimes of a teacher where you uh, speak truth in the, in the person's lives. You know, you have a conversation. And I, 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 and I, I believe in, the, in the, the power and the ability of the scriptures mystically to speak of the people's lives that I'm convinced you don't have to quote the chapter or the verse. Have you noticed at times you can just tell someone the truth of what you know from the life of Christ and the life of the scriptures and like the light begins to go on for them? Um, I think sometimes it also means unwrapping truth. You know, say, well, how is it that God would, or why would you, and you begin to explain and unwrap truth for people at times. It's, it is uh, language. But really the most important way that you teach truth is just live it. Uh, you know, it, it is funny. Those of us who are parents, you know this. <clears throat> you, 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 you tell your kids something over and over and over again. I mean, you shake them hard. No, you, 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 you explain. <laughs> Cachetadas. And you, so you try to explain to them why they should, should do something. And, uh, uh. and then they, they, they accidentally overhear you whisper something in the telephone. And it's like, like radar, and that they catch. It's indelible memories. You tell them, you, you teach them, you know, you go from the outside and how to eat with, with utensils, not like a, like a salvaje, like, like an animal, you know, like, you, know, you, you go from in to out, the smaller, for, and then, you know, and, and they end up eating like you, anyways, no matter what, right? You teach them how they should think and how they should behave, but they end up catching your attitudes and your, your way of thinking. Uh, Listen, if, if you want to have a healthier world, I love what Gandhi once said, is that you, you need to be the change that you want the world to become. You need to be the change. Um, yeah, if you want people to do well, live well. <laughs> you want people to be healthy, live healthy. Now, I don't mean salad and, and you know, wheatgrass, though I guess, I guess I could include, I mean healthy from your spirit and healthy in your mind and healthy in your soul. And that's, and that's one way you end up fighting for freedom. So freedom is from stuff. Freedom is for something. And freedom is to something. It's a movement. It's an action. And, it, it, and if freedom is, is, well, let me leave you with these two questions. Are you the kind of person that knows how to expand freedom in others? Are you the kind of person that knows how to expand freedom in others? Number two, are you the kind of person that knows how to expand freedom in yourself? I mean, is there a level of self-awareness from God and, or from the, the experience of the community that you know intentionally how to expand freedom in your life?
Because here's the thing, as I've said before, freedom is meant to be experienced and then shared with others. Hey, look, um, if you have a, a question or a comment, you go, hey, man, can you do this for me or unwrap that or explain that? Um, but if you wish to, uh, to contact me directly, my email address is octavio at mosaic.org. So let me go ahead and pray now, and then we'll close this part of it, and then we'll have a couple of quick announcements. Father, um, how, do we, how do we begin to address you? Except to say thank you for being a God that does set us free. And I, I pray that you helped me and my friends here to, to live in that freedom, to experience that freedom, to share that freedom with others, and to live a life that's compelling and winsome, that draws others to your freedom. So it, these verses that we've read, I, I pray they start conversations in our head, in our soul, with each other. How do we unwrap this to experience freedom in our lives and then to share it with others? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.